Hey everyone, welcome back to Christ is the Cure. We are continuing the TULIP series and we are talking about the human will. Today we are going to get into the nitty gritty, the, the weeds. We are getting into the meat and potatoes, all those good things. Last week we had a detour that was, I believe, necessary. Hopefully gave you something to look up and chew on for a little bit. And today we're going to go into it. The Arminian position on libertarian free will. Remember that if you are a patron, you have access to the full show notes. It is your patron exclusive perk for supporting Christ is the Cure. You can join the support team at patreon.com forward slash Christ is the Cure. Let's just go ahead and get into it. We're going to see how much ground we can cover today. But I will purposely try to talk a little bit slower at points where it gets kind of weird. Because I, I know that talking fast is kind of my kryptonite and um, painful for y'all. So Matthew Pinson begins his explanation on what Arminians believe about free will with the following quote. If traditional Arminians do not affirm the semi-Pelagian account of free will, what do they mean when they say they believe in free will and salvation? In short, they mean freedom from necessity not freedom from depravity. And that's in 40 questions about Arminianism. Pointing to Jacob Arminius, Pinson states, quote, the key to his doctrine of free will was his differentiation of necessity, contingency, and certainty, end quote. So he explains that uh, the things that are contingent are things that do not have to turn out the way they in fact will. What does that mean? It means that they have the possibility to go any direction. So contingent things are those things that do not have to turn out one specific way. They can go any way. You have a fork in the road, you can pick any, any road. There are multiple potential outcomes. Necessary things are those things that do have to turn out the way they in fact will. There is no possibility of the contrary outcome. You have a fork in the road, you're going left, period. There's, there's, you can't go right. Um, for Jacob Arminius, for an act to be free, it had to be a contingency. And so for me to be free, for me to act freely, I had to have been able to choose one of two or more ways. I, I had to have that option to actually be free. Um, quote, thus Arminius agreed with the idea that is known as libertarian freedom. This is freedom not from the power of sin and depravity, but from necessity. God has created his universe in such a way to maintain creaturely freedom, end quote. And that's from the same book. So this means that while man in a fallen state is a slave to sin, in his day-to-day -day actions, he is still always free to choose from multiple possible outcomes, but cannot, without an internal movement of grace, choose God. We've talked about that a couple times. I'm just hammering it home. So Arminius believed that man was still enslaved to sin, but he was free from necessity. He was free from only having one possible outcome in his decisions. Um, at conversion for Arminians, when grace repairs or frees the man's will from the bondage of sin, man can then choose to either take hold of faith or resist grace. There is a contingency. He has the option to do either or. He is free from the necessity of choosing one outcome. And this is the basis for resistible grace uh, that we're going to 
talk about a little bit later, but this is really a major point of division between Calvinists and Arminians. That is irresistible grace versus resistible grace. Now, in the book, Why I'm Not a Calvinist, which is the flip side of Why I'm Not an Arminian, the two books kind of go together, right? Two separate books, two perspectives. Um, Jerry Walls and Joseph Dongle explains that the view of libertarian freedom maintains that choices are undetermined. There is a process of deliberation that presents the reality that it is up to us to decide and that, quote, it seems intuitively and immediately evident that many of our actions are up to us in the sense that when faced with a decision, both or more options are within our power to choose, end quote. Roger Olson, in his book, um, Armenian Theology, Myths and Realities, will state, quote, free agency is the ability to do other than what one, in fact, does, end quote. So human beings are thus able to make choices contrary to the choices they actually make. They have the power of contrary choice. That's the best way to sum it up. That's what it could be boiled down to. Furthermore, the choices that are made are not determined by anything outside the person making the choices. There is no sufficient condition or cause for the choice in question. For the libertarian, this does not reject the reality of influences and reasons for making a choice, uh, such as you know values or preferences. But at the end of the day, none of these influences are sufficient conditions or causes for the choice that is made in that the will can overrule all these factors. Um, Leroy Fourlines explains that, quote, the freedom of the will does not mean that forces or influences cannot be brought to bear on the will. In fact, the very nature of freedom of the will means that forces or influences will be brought to bear on the will. It does not mean that these forces cannot be a contributing factor in the exercise of the will. It does mean that these influences or forces cannot guarantee or determine the actions of the will. End quote. Compatibilist Christensen states about the position, quote, In most cases, compelling reasons might appeal to a person who then chooses to follow its leading. What cannot happen is that a set of reasons becomes strong enough to move the persons decisively to choose one thing over another. Even if a person agrees in light of various reasons and arguments presented that one course of action is preferable, that in no way guarantees that it must be followed. Free will means that we always have alternative choices at our disposal and that we exercise complete control over which alternative we choose. Christian libertarians believe that God endows his creatures with this freedom and that he steadfastly refuses to interfere with it except in rare cases, end quote. And that is in the book, uh, What About Free Will? Reconciling Our Choices with God's Sovereignty, uh, page 17, by Scott Christensen. Now, it should go without saying that libertarians obviously do not reject the reality that people cannot do literally whatever they want, right? Mankind is limited as a human being. Uh, he cannot grow wings and fly. Uh, he cannot will that. And so there's obvious things like that that um, are limiting but ultimately, um, while a person's character and circumstances will influence one's decisions, the will can always override and choose contrary. For the libertarian, this position, that is the ability to choose contrary, is a key for ensuring the responsibility of the creature um, to make sure that they are responsible for their actions and thus the only proper way to understand creaturely freedom. 
Now, Roger Olson will argue that, quote, Armenians believe in free will because they see it everywhere assumed in the Bible and because it is necessary to protect God's reputation. The real reasons Armenians reject divine control over every human choice and action is that it would make God the author of sin and evil. For Arminians, this makes God at least morally ambiguous and at worst the only sinner, end quote. Now, whenever it comes to the biblical support for this position, uh, whenever it comes to Calvinist texts that appeal to a strong divine sovereignty, as Roger Olson puts it, Arminians will state that they simply do not indicate that God, quote, necessitates all human choices and events and that people have no choice but to do what they will do by necessity, end quote. And that quote is from Pinson's 40 Questions about Arminianism. And so for the libertarian... Uh, those scriptural texts that present a command or present a choice for an individual presuppose libertarian free will. That is the power of contrary choice. The argument is simply this. Whenever you're reading the Bible and you see any kind of command or you see any kind of choice, there has to be the ability to choose contrary to that choice or that command in order for the creature to be responsible and since these types of commands and choices and events are occurring where people are making choices and moving in their wills, the libertarian would say this is an obvious teaching of scripture. Um, for example, the text such as choose this day whom you will serve in Joshua 24, 15. Uh, this text implores individuals to come to God and assumes that there is a choice being presented to them. Um, and then there's other texts, right, that... Um, such as the famous John 3.16 that implores individuals to come to God. And so you do see a lot of human choices in the Bible. And within that libertarian freedom framework, they say, well, this is obviously what's happening. Furthermore, whenever it comes to texts um, where God appears to change his mind, this seems to indicate that the course of the future is changing in some sense or another. And they would cite texts such as Exodus 32.9-14 on that point. Um, Matthew 23, 37 is cited as well, where Jesus laments over Jerusalem, over the resistance of the Jews who didn't choose to be reconciled to God. Furthermore, the texts that indicate that God, quote, does not wish that any should perish, but all should reach repentance in 2 Peter 3, 9, and that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth in 1 Timothy 2, 4, demonstrates that God does not always see his desires fulfilled, but instead has created a world where humans operate in libertarian free will. So again, essentially libertarian support from the biblical text are those texts that refer to or assume human agency. And because human experience leads itself to viewing the world through free agency or the power to choose the contrary, libertarianism is often assumed and the texts about, again, strong divine sovereignty are not indications that God controls everything in a way that would eliminate the power of contrary choice. Some other points that the libertarian position would bring up is that if our love for God is determined, then it cannot have a meaningful value. Um, blame or praise is only meaningful when a person is able to act in a contrary manner um, obligations and commands implies that we can obey, and libertarianism keeps God from being the author or culpable for sin and evil. And so for the libertarian, their position better answers the problem of evil in human experience. Now, responses to these ideas from the compatibilist side will come later uh, in you know, the, the following episodes. 
But for now, we're just going to move on to the logical question of how do Arminians understand God's sovereignty and God's foreknowledge? Now, these come into play because the libertarian will need to explain how God's plan and unfolding of history takes place in light of their position. In what way is God sovereign, right? In light of this libertarian free will. And we also need to understand how foreknowledge works in this position. That is God's knowledge of all events. So let's look at Arminianism, libertarian free will, and sovereignty. When examining the Arminian position on sovereignty and foreknowledge, I'll be relying heavily on Olson and Pinson. This is a necessary thing to say uh, because in this presentation on sovereignty and foreknowledge, this is not the only understanding in the Arminian position. There are a number of individuals and internal discussions within Arminian circles regarding the role of middle knowledge or Molinism and its compatibility with Arminianism. Um, and so if you want to know about Arminianism from that perspective of an Arminianism that is compatible with Molinism or whether or not Arminianism was originally Molinistic, uh, all those debates, it would be good to seek out and consult Arminians on those discussions because here we're focusing on Olson and Pinson who present simple foreknowledge over and against the idea of middle knowledge or Molinism. So let's go ahead and talk about sovereignty, beginning with Pinson and his 40 questions about Arminianism. He states, quote, In scripture, a sovereign, even an absolute sovereign, is someone who extends his rule over his subjects and propounds laws for them to obey. If they do not obey those laws, they are subject to punishment or even banishment from the sovereign's realm. Even an absolute sovereign does not determine his subjects moment by moment lives so that they will be guaranteed to carry out his will, end quote. Penson will also cite the Lutheran Hans Martison. I think that's how you say it. Quote, God limits his own power by calling into existence a world of created beings to whom he gives in a derivative way to have life in themselves. But precisely in this way above all others that he is omnipotent over a free world, does he reveal the inner greatness of his power more clearly. That is true power which brings free agents into existence and is notwithstanding able to make itself all in all. So in summary, God limits his own power by calling to existence free agents and letting them live in a sense of libertarian freedom of the will. And Penson used the, the king over his nation uh, illustration, but there's also this illustration of a man who is in control of his family in that he ensures that everyone follows the established rules, but there's no determination of every act in reality. So Pinson will go on to state that the universe is not characterized by random chance in this position, but he instead finds agreement with Calvinist Lewis Burkhoff when he describes that God is clothed with the absolute authority and upholds all things with his power and determines the ends which they are destined to serve. Further, Pinson will say, quote, Arminians can even agree with Burkhoff that he rules as king in the most absolute sense of the word and that all things are dependent upon him and subject to him. As Arminian theologian Kevin Heister says, God's sovereignty is such a clear biblical teaching that no biblically conscious Christian would dare assail it. The question is whether, and if so, in what way, human freedom coexists with God's sovereign plan and control of the universe, end quote. So the Arminian will ultimately say that God still governs all things, and he allows the freedom of choice of human beings and draws those humans into his plans for his ends and purposes. 
And so Pinson will say, quote, God governs the world to his desire ends while still maintaining creaturely freedom. He permits evil, yet he does not ordain it, end quote. Further, classical Arminians would agree with Calvinists on the point that God's providence over creation is a reality to the point that if God removed his hand from the world, it would stop moving. Um, furthermore, within Jacob Arminius's writings, there is a distinction between two different modes of God's will. God's antecedent will and consequent will. Now, God's antecedent will is God's will and pleasure that comes from God himself. And the consequent will of God is his will of permission. To put it another way, we'll quote Matthew Pinson again. Quote, God's antecedent will involves those things that God approvingly wills. His consequent will involves those things that he merely allows. Without God's grace, we can do nothing good, yet our actions are free in the sense of libertarian free will. End quote. Roger Olson and his book, Arminian Theology, Myths and Realities, follows on the same route. Olson states, Who is to say that sovereignty necessarily includes absolute control or meticulous governance of real contingency and free will? Does sovereignty entail these meanings in human life? Do sovereign rulers dictate every detail of their subject lives, or do they oversee and govern in a more general way? And then he goes on to say, Classical Arminianism goes far beyond belief in general providence to include the affirmation of God's intimate and direct involvement in every event of nature and history. The only thing the Arminian view of God's sovereignty necessarily excludes is God's authorship of sin and evil. Faithful followers of Arminius have always believed that God governs the entire universe and all of history. Nothing at all can happen without God's permission, and many things are specifically and directly controlled and caused by God. Even sin and evil do not escape God's providential governance in the classical Arminian theology. God permits and limits them without willing or causing them, end quote. Roger Olson then continues to point out that for Arminians, God allows human freedom of choice and then responds to that choice by drawing them into his plan for his ends in the same way that Pinson does. Olson is more concerned with avoiding the notion that God is the author of sin and evil. And so for Olson, Arminianism avoids this issue and that human agency is allowed and God permits rather than ordains evil to occur. Further, evil must be permitted by God if it occurs. It cannot happen if God does not allow it. And, quote, God has the ability to stop anything from happening, but to preserve human liberty, he permits sin and evil without approving them, end quote. Further, quote, God permits it designingly and willingly, but not efficaciously. Furthermore, God controls, or in parentheses, ordains, appoints, limits, directs, in parentheses, it, in a sense, that he appoints it to a good end. Olson, when describing Jacob Arminius, explains that for Arminius, quote, God is the first cause of whatever happens. Even a sinful act cannot occur without God as its first cause, because creatures have no ability to act without their creator, who is their supreme cause for existence. And when a sinful act occurs, the same event is produced by God and the human being. The guilt of the sin is not transferred to God, because God is the effector of the acts, but only the permitter of the sin itself. This is why scripture sometimes attributes evil deeds to God, because God concurs with them. God cooperates with the sinners who commit them, but that does not mean that God is the effectious cause of them or wills them, except according to his consequent will. God allows them and cooperates with them unwillingly in order to preserve the sinner's 
liberty, end quote. And that, again, is Roger Olson's book, Armenian Theology, Myths and uh, Realities, page 122 through 123. So God wills to permit sin and supports it without approval, which required God's self-prior limitation, uh, which could be considered his consequent will. So the question then becomes, how do classical Arminians understand God's foreknowledge, which again is the reality that God knows all things and has always known all things? Uh, this point actually becomes crucial because we know that God is omniscient. He knows all things. Uh, there's nothing that he doesn't know. He knows the future. He, he knows everything. So let's talk about Arminianism and foreknowledge and libertarian freedom of the will. Within classical Arminians, there are two kinds of events, contingent events, that is events that could have been otherwise, and necessary events, which could not have been otherwise, um, or otherwise called predetermined events. Necessary events, that is those events that cannot be otherwise, were foreordained, and foreordination simply means that God ordained or ordered or decreed something to occur uh, before, right? Foreordained. Um, so in the Arminian picture, necessary events are the events that are foreordained. They cannot be otherwise. Contingent events are those events that could have been otherwise. For the Arminian, these events are both present because that is the way that God designed things. And Pinson, when describing the issue of divine foreknowledge, says, quote, How can an event be free if God knows it is going to come to pass? If God's knowledge is true, does it not make the event certain? Therein lies the explanation. A future event can be certain without it being necessary, end quote. So in essence, um, an event can go one way or another without it forfeiting God's certainty that the event will go a particular direction. I'll repeat that. An event can go one way or another while God still has the certainty that the event will go a particular direction. So God's certainty of an event does not mean that it is predetermined or caused by God. Pinson illustrates this like this, quote, If I decide to go fishing at the lake tomorrow morning, God knows that and has always known that. Yet the reason he has always known it is that he knows everything truly and exhaustively. However, if I choose to go instead to the donut shop tomorrow rather than the lake, then God instead knows that as he has always known it. So if, in eternity past, God knew that I would go fishing at 7 a.m. tomorrow, then it is certain that I will do so, but it is not necessary. The only reason God knew that I would go is because of my choice to go. My will was the cause of my action, not God's knowledge. Things are caused by other things than knowledge of them, whether divine or human, end quote. This is illustrated by another statement that, quote, what God knew yesterday is contingent upon what I will freely decide to do tomorrow. If I am free to decide whether to do something or refrain from it, it is up to me to decide which I shall do. And whichever I decide to do, God will have known it yesterday and indeed from all eternity that I will do it, end quote. Now, with that all said, Pinson does admit that how God's foreknowledge works in Arminianism or is understood in Arminianism differs among Arminians, which I kind of hinted at with middle knowledge and Molinism. The camp is a little bit more diverse in how they discuss foreknowledge, ranging from what is called simple foreknowledge, which says that God knew what would happen only after he made the choice to create humanity, to middle knowledge, which again goes into um, Molinism and middle knowledge. So that 
wraps up our discussion on libertarian freedom of the will, sovereignty, and foreknowledge. Essentially, God has created the world in a way that he permits libertarian freedom of the will to occur. He is still involved in what occurs. Creatures can do nothing apart from him permitting something to occur. But there's a distinction between what is contingent and what is necessary. Some things are foreordained and necessary. There's only one outcome, which most Armenians would say, for example, the crucifixion of Jesus. You could not get around that. While other events are contingent events where individuals can choose one way or another, and then they are drawn into God's plan based off of their choices. And for this articulation of foreknowledge, God always knew what choices would be made. Essentially, his certainty of an event does not mean that he is the cause of that event. So that wraps up our discussion on the Arminian libertarian freedom of the will and foreknowledge. I hope I didn't speak too fast. I, I tried not to. Um, and next week we will discuss compatibilism and the Calvinist position and flesh that out. And so until next time, God bless you all and have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. <laughs>